You are listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as the other show I do, How to Stan, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com and subscribe to my newsletter at howtostan.substack.com. K-pop interviews, album reviews, and more. Subscribing is free, but if you want to continue to support my work, feel free to donate. Click the support the show button on the homepage at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-pop. There is so much news, as always, to get to from the past week or so. So let's just dive right in. Story number one. Blackpink will no longer accept fan gifts. YG Entertainment released a statement saying, quote, We would like to inform our grateful fans, Blackpink members have been struggling for a long time to tell you about the support and gifts that fans have prepared. For Blackpink's special days in the future, we would like to politely refuse the anniversaries, broadcasts, performances, and postal gifts. We would appreciate it if you could indirectly deliver the gifts and support to places in need or for good things, unquote. Basically a very drawn out way of saying, stop sending Blackpink gifts and put that time and effort and money into charitable causes or things like that. Other people who could use the help more. Because this statement was worded so lengthy and interesting and emotional, the members have been struggling to tell you this, please redirect your funds elsewhere, really made me think that part of the reason why G made this decision was because they want to stay in the good graces of their Chinese audience. Remember, the past few episodes we've been talking about this crackdown on the entertainment industry and fandom behavior in China, which we will touch on once again There are some other instances that we didn't even get to in those previous episodes showing how China thinks this activity is giving them a bad reputation, essentially. Like on August 31st, they shut down a Jimin fan account for 60 days. It got a 60-day suspension for trying to crowdfund for a birthday ad for Jimin to be put on a big plane. This was huge, apparently. It raised, like, $155,000. In the wake of that account getting suspended, 21 other fan accounts, not just for Jimin and BTS, but other groups too, each got 30-day suspensions for, quote, irrational, star-chasing behavior. Then the Jimin fan account that started this debacle said, Going forward, we encourage everyone to, quote, be civilized, follow stars rationally, and build a harmonious and healthy online environment, unquote. As a result of the Big Ten list Chinese state media issued that we talked about before, the ten main ways they want people to quote-unquote clean up their act and give a whole makeover to the fan-driven economy online, all of the big four K-pop company stocks fell. So this is where I think it is relevant again here. Each of the big four K-pop companies had their stock value fall after the Big Ten list of recommendations came out. It didn't portray their fandoms in the best light. But the range of percentages their stock fell by is really revealing. A drop of 0.89 for HYBE, 1.68 for SM, 2.9 for JYP, and 4.7 for YG. The other company's stock downturn ranged from 0.89 to 2.9. YG's was 4.7. That's a huge difference. 
that company was most affected by, at least in terms of economic value, this crackdown on certain types of entertainment. But they're in a weird place because China's fan-generated economy is predicted to reach about $15 billion by the end of 2021. Idol-generated economy, referring to merch purchases, fans crowdfunding for birthday projects, etc. $15 billion industry, all thanks to the fans. But that value seems to be coming at the expense. It's offset by stock declines. Not really fully offset, but we're not going to get into the whole technical math equation today. I'm just saying it's a very interesting time for YG to so publicly issue a statement reminiscent of the Jimin fandom statement. Not just saying we're going to adapt to these new guidelines, but indirectly saying we're going to adapt because we agree with China's view that fandom culture needs an overhaul. Blackpink has a huge fan base in China, and they don't want to lose them. But to keep promoting Blackpink in China, they're going to have to not get on the Chinese media's bad side. So I think these news stories are related. An interesting exception here is that fan letters will still be allowed. So effective immediately, you can no longer go to YG Entertainment's headquarters and leave flowers or other material gifts. Just letters. The fan letter caveat I find interesting and, again, revealing and related to China's position on this. Back in 2011, China actually encouraged their celebrities to build connections online with fans. They saw the internet's vast potential to develop into a huge economic boom eventually. Now, they probably didn't expect it to reach a $15 billion boom. Now it feels like it's out of their control too much, and that's why they're cracking down. But the point is they kind of, while they're doing this, don't want to entirely shut this industry down. Because back in 2011, they were seeing the benefits culturally and economically of those parasocial relationships forming between idols and fans. So I think that's the middle ground YG Entertainment has reached to keep China in good graces. They say, fine, we too will condemn quote-unquote excessive fan activity by getting rid of the chance to send all sorts of gifts. But we still want our idols to be have this veneer of accessibility and connection so fans can still write them letters. I think that's the trade-off taking place here. Speaking of China, there is a new popular gadget on the market, what's called a square dancing repellent. Basically, there are these square dance troops, often of elderly people, who walk down the streets in China and dance as a group, and they play their music on loudspeakers. There have been a lot of past attempts local authorities have made to get them and their noise to not tick off people nearby. They've been encouraged to switch to Bluetooth earphones or to set up an alarm that will go off when the music starts getting too loud and people are calling them a public nuisance. There have been past scary incidents as well where residents' anger has just boiled over and they're like, will you quiet down? Gross detail alert ahead. In 2013, a man actually dumped feces on the dancers. Then in 2016, someone actually shot at one of their loudspeakers and accidentally struck a woman. The anger over these troops gets intense. 
So lately, this 19-year-old inventor has been marketing the solution, what he calls an anti-square dancing magical device. It's a remote control that uses infrared technology. So if you buy his remote, get in close proximity to a loudspeaker that uses infrared technology, and hold the button down for 15 seconds-ish, you can turn off their speaker. This device is going for anywhere from $15 to $40 a pop, and he has allegedly sold $20,000 in the past four months, meaning at this rate he could hypothetically sell $40,000 in eight months, $60,000 in a year. And at $15 to $40 a pop, that's a lot of money. So he's basically getting rich off of selling these remotes to tell the dance troops to quiet down. I am very conflicted about my take on this story because I really think it's frankly very cute and nice that these people get to go out square dancing in a group. But I also, in this town, would definitely be one of the people saying, shut up out there. It's a cute concept in theory. In practice, I might want to buy one of those remotes myself. But I also don't want to cramp their style. They're just having fun. So I would continue to push, maybe not for the remotes, but just to encourage them to wear headphones. Try it again. I know they say it's not the same, but we have to strike a happy medium here. That's what living in community is all about. Sometimes you got to turn down the volume. That's just how it is. Let's move on to talking about the hot mess that was BTS LA concert ticket sales. As you'll recall, BTS announced four shows, two in late November, two in early December, at LA's SoFi Stadium this year, coming up very soon. When tickets went on sale, it was chaos. Now, every time BTS tickets go on sale, it's chaos. Probably hours of waiting. But this was excessive. Because not just were fans kept on hold insanely long periods of time. But some people said they had broken links, pre-sale codes weren't working for them, and Ticketmaster's fan support account eventually tweeted, quote, due to overwhelming past purchaser and verified fan pre-sale demand, all shows are sold out and tickets are not available for the public on sale, unquote. Yeah, this chaos was just the pre-sale. The public on sale never happened. It all sold out during the pre-sale. And fans just found out via tweet, sorry, you lucked out. There are a couple of things about this I want to flag here. First of all, I think one of the big tech issues came in with the fact that if you bought a ticket to their Map of the Soul tour before it was canceled thanks to COVID, you got a pre-sale code for these shows. And so I think the amount of people with pre-sale access was excessive. So I do really think part of this is not ticket scalpers like everyone assumes. Let's separate two parts of what happened. And the first part is not about scalpers. I do think it's about excessive pre-sale code access. Because you didn't have to buy tickets for their previous LA show to use your pre-sale code, as is sometimes the case. This one was not location specific. So if you are, I don't know, a podcast host in Chicago, for example, who decided to try her luck at going to one of these shows using a pre-sale code despite having earlier bought a ticket for the Chicago show, it worked, and she may have still gotten access, which was eventually denied. 
Not that she is bitter about that or anything. Anyway, people are trying from all over the country to go to these four shows. So I do think any activity that felt like site crashing actually genuinely was just an overload of usage. Not just sketchy scalpers. The second part of this, though, I do think to an extent some scalpers were involved, and I say this because typically how pre-sales work is intentionally only a select group of seats are on sale. Usually, it's intentionally set up so that, at some point, the amount of pre-sale purchasers either is smaller than the venue size, the amount of people given pre-sale access is smaller than the venue size, or there is only a limited amount of seats available to purchase during the pre-sale. So either from the get-go, there's super limited access to buy the tickets during the pre-sale, or it's first come, first serve for a limited time to even use your pre-sale access. And this is intentionally done so that there are still tickets left for the general on-sale. So them saying so many people bought tickets in the pre-sale that there was nothing on sale for the general, that's just typically not how these things work. So something does feel suspicious about it. But I did want to highlight, I think, the sheer access in everyone across the country, maybe even some people internationally, trying to buy tickets at once. I do think a lot of it was not actually sketchy. I think that was a tiny fraction of the issue. Overwhelming demand was the big issue. I just don't see how they didn't prepare for this. They should have known all this. I shouldn't be the one telling them, hey, you should have kept in mind that X amount of people are going to try to use a pre-sale code all at this exact same time on your site. Either gear up for that or lessen who can use the code to be location specific, but make a carve out for a girl in Chicago possibly. But I would have prepared more for this and clearly they did not. Never underestimate the army. Let's get to one more disappointing story, and then we'll move on to the happier, less tense stuff. Former Momoland member Daisy is suing Momoland Entertainment. Daisy tried out for Momoland back in 2016. She was then chosen not to join. But then she was picked to join the group in the spring of 2017. So the wage dispute here is over that 2016 to spring 2017 time frame. Momoland Entertainment says that Daisy needs to pay part of the production costs from the tryout show Finding Momoland that she competed on in 2016, even though she wasn't part of the group yet and wasn't chosen at first. Then Momoland, it turns out, this company took away 66 million won from her earnings to compensate for this alleged lack of paying up. But Daisy is saying, look, I didn't sign a contract back in 2016, and you can't make me pay wages for something that happened prior to me signing the contract. Momoland Entertainment said their argument was basically the exact date you signed the contract doesn't matter because this is standard practice in the industry that our contract included language, the typical language about being responsible for costs incurred during and prior to officially signing with us. Seoul Central District Court found this to lack standing, that the date you sign a contract really does matter. And the pay-before-you-sign-with-us, pay-before-debut language that Moland Entertainment claimed was just standard practice, the court said, no, it's not. That's not a thing. So they ruled in her favor. 
Momoland Entertainment must now pay her more than what they took away. Now they owe her 79 million won. They took away 66 million won. And now they're paying her back 79 million won. There was an additional 10 million won Daisy could have gotten that the judge ruled against. It's convoluted, but the biggest ruling was in Daisy's favor. Momoland Entertainment filed an appeal right away. Now, as I told you before on this show, I just have a minor degree, not a major, in criminal justice, and I don't know how it works in South Korea. But using my minimal amount of knowledge about this world, I don't think this company has a standing. I really think Daisy's gonna win her appeal, come out on top, because imagine the precedent it sets if they ruled in favor of this company. If they rule in their favor, they're basically allowing the logic to stand for the future that says the date you sign a contract has no bearing on when your company can hold you responsible for paying fees. Then companies can argue as far back as they want before your debut, hey, you should pay us for that too. That would be a very concerning precedent, so really hoping Daisy wins out here. Let's get to that happier news I talked about. 26 Korean words were just added to the Oxford English Dictionary. They include a lot of food dishes like kimbap and bulgogi, as well as terms like hallyu, agyo, k-drama, manhwa, and mukban. They really are just used globally now, and so they have a place in this dictionary, because there's no other word for this stuff. These are the words for them. I really love this because it shows how interconnected our world is and how big the Hallyu wave has gotten. These words are officially not just part of K-pop fandom vernacular. They are officially words that everyone's using regularly. That's pretty exciting to me. And I also love when this happens because it's just cool to think about how each language kind of has those words that don't translate. That just no matter where you are in the world, people are saying them. And you don't really stop to think about it, but yeah, that's the word in that language too. Touché, for example. We all say touché, right? Means good point. That's French, but we just say it. Some people do say good point still, but the point is that you don't have to speak the language to use some of the words from it, and everyone knows what you're talking about. I just think that's super cool. Lastly, let's talk about some award show updates. The end of the year K-pop award show season is upon us, and it's getting exciting already. Cha Eunwoo from Astro is set to MC the Seoul International Drama Awards October 20th through 22nd, both online and off. The MCs for this year's Asian Artist Awards were also announced. That show will be December 2nd. Your hosts this year are Jane Wanyun, formerly of Eyes One, and Etuk from Super Junior. Lastly, The Mamas will be December 11th. This year's theme is Make Some Noise. The event this year hopes to, quote, showcase the power of music that breaks prejudice and respects the diversity of everyone's values, unquote. That can lend itself to a lot of interesting performance themes. And the big, big, big news is that Lee Hyori is set to become the first ever female host of The Mamas. They haven't had a female host yet. It is about time, and who better and more intergenerationally loved artist to be up for the job? Really excited for this one. There are also some new concert updates for in-person events. 
Wanho is set to host his first ever offline concert. This one will be in Seoul, November 13th and 14th. The fan club sale is out now, but the general sale starts October 19th. Epic High announced their 2022 North American tour with 29 dates. Tickets are on sale now. It starts March 1st, 2022 in Seattle. It hits Chicago March 12th, so get psyched for that. That will be the best show, just saying. And it ends in Oakland, California, April 12th. Eric Nam is finally going back on tour as well. I hope him and Epic High manage to cross paths sometime on tour or while promoting their respective tours so we can get a live performance of Cave Me In. His world tour starts in early 2022, hitting up 31 North American cities before hitting many more stops. Depends on the pandemic, but he's coming wherever you are in the world. He hopes to be there. More info at ericnam.com and get ready for ticket sales starting this Friday. Lastly, One the K's YouTube channel is going to live stream what they call a friendship concert, featuring a bunch of different acts from different countries. Super cute, and it airs October 22nd, 9pm Korean time, which is about 7am Central Time Zone. It will feature The Boys, ATs, Arena, Liz Kim Kwan, so many others. Let's get really quick to your miscellaneous rapid-fire headlines. Chan from Ace is now the second member to catch COVID. SF9's Dawan and Huiwon also just tested positive. As of recording time, the other members are still awaiting test results. Seventeen is set to be on MMTG this week. They are also Lazada's new happiness ambassadors for Southeast Asia. Super cute commercials to go with that, with, frankly, a bop of an advertisement jingle, a flow ride, a spinoff. We love to hear it. Girls' Generation's Yuna is the newest model for Mew Mew. Lightsome has joined the Universe app. Sandu from B1A4 is enlisting in the military as a public service worker November 11th. P1 Harmony continues to really be going all out with their USA trip promo and stuff. They recently were invited to and attended Teen Vogue's 18th birthday bash in New York. Zian from Laboom has decided she will not use that stage name going forward. Call her her real name, Jinya. Twice, for the first time, entered the Billboard Hot 100 chart, with the feels getting 83rd place. N-Hyphen's new album topped iTunes in 26 countries, Day 6's video for Dance Dance surpassed 10 million views, reaching 100 million views, Lisa's money performance video, and BTS's video for Epiphany. Blackpink's Boombaya has surpassed 300 million streams, and BTS's Blood, Sweat, and Tears surpassed 800 million streams. That wraps up your news roundup for the day. Lots more coming your way very soon that I'm very excited about. So keep an eye on my newsletter, howtostandatsubstack.com, my website, and obviously the show. Before I go, though, my action item for you today is just a belated acknowledgement of World Mental Health Day. If you want to better understand those of us who deal with mental illness, or if you just want to know more about how to take care of your own mental health, in that important distinction between mental illness and mental health, because we all have mental health. And if you need to know how to deal with that and understand it, there are a ton of resources and informational tools at mentalhealth.gov. So make sure you check that out. 
Thank you, and I will talk to you all again super soon. Bye, everyone.